Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brothers and sisters in the UK and worldwide, welcome to another podcast. Uh, my name is Sultan Ahmed. It's the first ever podcast I'm doing here on Imfeed. Uh, so welcome. And uh, no doubt you want to know who we have as the guest today. So the person we've got uh, here in the studio, he's born and raised in Birmingham in Sparkbrook. He has been uh, the pioneer of street art movement, fuse, uh, fusing street art with Islamic script and patterns, delivering powerful and moving messages. He's been featured by international media from the likes of the CNN, BBC, Al Jazeera, and he's also travelled around the world. I have the honour and pleasure of introducing to you Muhammad Ali, who is also known as Aerosol Arabic. Salam alaikum. Alaikum salam. But Muhammad, it's a pleasure having you here today. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Excellent. Uh, Muhammad, this is a very informal and uh, a very relaxed show. We just want to know a little bit about you as a person growing up in Sparkbrook. So many, many years ago, uh, you know, you found purpose through hip hop and the street culture in Birmingham. Take us back to the Muhammad as a little child. When you were 10 years old, I believe uh, your brother brought a magazine home and that kind of shaped, essentially shaped who you are today. Yeah, I mean, I was I was uh, an 80s kid, really, you know. I was uh, growing up in the kind of mid-80s. Uh, I think it must have been about eight or nine. Or no, I tell a lie, it must have been about seven, actually. Seven years old in the mid-80s when hip-hop culture was something that not just me, but every kid was drawn to. And hip-hop really was a kind of a genre of not just music. I mean, it's a misconception that hip-hop is just, you know, men with a microphone rapping. Rather, you know, it was a movement, it was a kind of an expression of not just lyrics, but it was um, breakdancing, yeah? Someone spinning on their head on a piece of cardboard on the street. Um, it was the lyrics, of course, as I just mentioned. And then you've got the visual form, which was graffiti, right? And there are other elements as well. One will argue that scratching on, on vinyl, where you would kind of get the vinyl and you do these tricks and make these you know what? What's today's generation will find as these strange sounds. With, with, um, but this it's, was, it's used to make something sound very, very cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's at that time it was revolutionary. Yeah, um, because hip hop culture was an, as an expression, which was an art, a creative expression of of youth. You know, it was an art form, or you could say an art movement that was almost born amongst youth, right? And that was the powerful thing about it. Hip hop culture was an expression of of people as well. It was an accessible. Uh, art form if you like it was you know uh, um, anyone could grab the mic and you would just be inspired by poetry and it was something that anyone could identify with same with breakdancing you didn't couldn't learn it from any institution you would just be spinning on your back and doing all these amazing kind of moves that you you picked up from people on the streets none of these forms were anything that I was any good at um, so naturally for me I was a very visual person and graffiti one of the what once someone would, some would describe as a, almost a pillar of hip-hop, you know, some people describe it as the various pillars or elements of hip-hop culture. Graffiti, which was the, a visual expression, again, it was something you couldn't go anywhere to, um, you know, to develop your craft. There was no institution that taught it. Your teachers and peers were the kids around the block mm. who had used an, old, uh, uh, an unconventional tool, which wasn't a brush or a pen or a marker. It was a spray can. And a spray can, which was never designed for creating art, it was never really that wasn't its you know the, the you know what the its origin originally used for. Mm. It's for you designed for spraying cars, really. You know, 
rusty car that you would sand down and then spray the color over but us almost reappropriating this tool we're almost taking these tools and using them uh, as the artist tool this was revolutionary because it was again an art form that was born amongst youth it was an art form that broke boundaries in terms of um, it was art for the people so that's why I was almost mesmerized by it. I remember feeling like this was like my channel. This was what I've been waiting for. This was my expression. And every kid, anyone kind of in an urban environment, living in an inner city part of any city, not just in the UK, it was something that spread around the world. And me in Birmingham, I was no different. You know, this was the voice that we were looking for. We could say through graffiti, through hip-hop culture, even as a whole, you could say, I exist, this is who I am. And before that, you couldn't do that. We as kids, you're kicking the football around and, you know, just looking for things to do. Now, suddenly, we were able to kind of scream out and be heard, mm. and quite literally, because now an urban thing that you could, uh, you know, an expression that was literally what I always describe as an art form that was bursting outside of gallery spaces. It was an art form that was spilling out into the streets where we live, where we work, where we play. Suddenly now we had this, this expression of youth that you could not avoid. You you cannot you know miss the, the colors of the street art. When you walk down the street and you see someone spinning on a piece of cardboard doing these incredible maneuvers, you know, you see someone freestyling on a street with you know not even with a microphone just there rhyming this just was absolutely liberating see with with graffiti uh from the days i, I was growing up and mm. many of our listeners and viewers would uh, probably see it in a similar way graffiti was always seen as something of a, a nuisance something of a anti-social behavior where kids didn't have anything better to do they would just go and graffiti mm, yeah. a, a, a wall on an abandoned garage or yeah, a house yeah. or something like that sure so how how did you manage to take it away from there because sure. anyone that does graffiti is not seen in a, in a very positive light but i understand that mm. you've obviously said sure. that graffiti gave you a a, a, a window into a completely different yeah. world well, first of all, I think it's worth exploring beyond and looking beyond this whole hoodies, hooded kids vandalizing, right? And by that, I'm going to be slightly controversial here and actually explore the very essence of just scratching, carving, because that's what graffiti is. Graffiti, mm. even, you know, linguistically, we explore the word graphene, uh, which comes from, you know, I think Italian and then... And, and, uh, and graffito, which is Italian, and graffine is from a Greek term, to scratch, to carve, to scribble. That's where this term originates from. That's what graffiti comes from, to scratch, to carve, and to scribble. And all of these actions are something that we've been doing as human beings for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Human beings have forever, almost an innate part of our instinct, our nature, is to carve and tell our story, whether it's in you know, ancient rock carvings in places like Sulawesi in Indonesia, right? Or in, you know, the Ab indigenous people of Australia, you know, they, they carved, they scratched, scratched the, 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 the Egyptians, you know, hieroglyphics. We can see back in history, actually human beings, this is just a continuation of people saying, I exist and this is my story and this is who I am. Mm -hmm. So 
let's just kind of keep that in context a little bit here. All that's changing to an extent is the tools are changing and human beings will forever want to tell their story. And that's what we were doing. Now, just to kind of add really, of course, what I'm not saying is that that, you know, trying to almost endorse the kind of that, the kind of taking over of concrete buildings and just spraying our names and doing whatever. I'm trying to explain to, I suppose, the listeners that that there is the innate nature of human beings to carve, scratch, and scribble. In fact, everyone's a graffiti artist. It's an innate part of us. When you're on the phone and you've got a pen in your hand, or when you're at school and you're listening or you're at college, you look at the doodles around on your pieces of paper. We are, I think we are drawn to writing, to scratching and to carving something in a place that isn't really designed to be done so. I think that's part of our human instinct. So let's put that into context first. And as I said, that human beings will want to kind of express themselves. Myself, of course, doing things illegally, going and you know randomly vandalizing someone's, someone's walls, not something I would... Uh, in fact, I struggled with it eventually. You know, I mean. Yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah. I was going to ask. You know, how much of that played a part in your childhood when you mm-hmm. when you took up the gritty? And I've seen a video of yours uh, uh, where you went and uh, did a, a, a very theatrical piece with mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the big production companies, where you went into a garage and we drew um, a version of Othello. Mm. Othello, sorry. Uh, so, you know, how much of uh, the antisocial side of graffiti was involved in your childhood? I'd say, first of all, what, what draws people to graffiti, right, is the fact that it's just this very, uh, an expression of that was almost like a, a, an animal in the, out of a cage, you know, it was something that you couldn't confine, and that was the beauty of it, that you could, you could just take over any space, and there was something quite profound about something appearing overnight that almost felt like, well, actually it did, often they were, it almost felt like they just sprung up. It felt like this was the city speaking. This was truth, especially when it's on a space that it's an unexpected space. So there's something about street art just appearing, mm. even if it's illegal. There was something actually quite profound about that because it just felt like the soul of the city. It felt like people were screaming out to be heard. Mm. And there's something about that that feels wrong to even contain, actually. You need the city to breathe. You need people to be expressing themselves and screaming out when they need to. Yeah. Um, now, moving on a little bit from uh, your childhood, you, you found uh, Islam and you, much later on, you got drawn to your faith as a Muslim. And uh, how did that happen? How did that come about? And how did that shape how mm. your graffiti art was being translated? Mm. Well, certainly just kind of following on from the, 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 uh, the idea of just taking over a building um, without permission, Certainly when I started to be more mindful and become more drawn to my faith as a Muslim, that's when I started to put everything else in my life into perspective. It made me start reassessing, if you like, hang on, this is what I do. And I saw nothing wrong in that. But then now I had a kind of a new framework, if you like, looking through a new lens at things, going, all of what I've been doing, I had to kind of almost start turning things around a little bit, going, actually, no, that's... That doesn't that doesn't mm. seem right anymore. So and that was and and doing them something illegally, on a space, even if it's colourful, even if it is, you know, something that is aesthetically pleasing, I had to. I was you know I had this kind of dilemma, if you like, of, of you know try and seek permission and you know explore doing th- that doing things in in the the correct way. You know, mm. I'm not 
I want to encourage people to be doing things illegally and getting arrested for it in the name of art. Although many artists do, and I also did once upon a time, you know. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, you've you've uh, traveled the world, and uh, since finding your faith, um, a lot of the art that you have done has been inspired by the uh, Islamic faith, and uh, you've traveled to the townships of South Africa in Johannesburg. You've also gone to um, Los Angeles. Uh, and, and explore the ghettos did that give you an understanding or open your eyes to another culture another world out there i mean how did that influence sure. you mm. in your youth as you were growing up yeah. well certainly when i started becoming drawn to my faith i i uh, the themes and the messages um the ideas of the art naturally became much more you know that's the social conscious messages and it became about you know at that time i was exploring you know verses from the quran hadith or just ideas that came from from you know is the islamic tradition uh, messages that were relevant to muslims and and, and non-muslims as well and as i said that that transition from painting regular graffiti like i did when i was you know, 14 15 years old that didn't particularly say much mm. to then my art being able to express something a little bit with a bit more depth if you mm. like and then as i said as i started to kind of you know travel and my, my you know started doing what i doing what i was doing full time um naturally i was drawn to wanting to tell stories of people um my art i wanted it to be reflective of the very places where i live i wanted it to be re to be reflected of the people that would see those you know, walls every day. Mm. In fact, it felt selfish not to do that. And I just began to really question that. The places that I was visiting, whether it be Los Angeles or Johannesburg and, you know, all of these places I was traveling, it felt wrong to just impose my art on the, in these places. And, it, and a natural thing for me to do was to engage with the very people that I'm visiting, listen to them, try to represent themes and ideas that they perhaps are you know battling with mm. and that's where the public mural paintings that i was painting um started to become more and more not always i mean you can't always completely reflect everybody you know mm. you can't please everybody as they say but at the very least what i can do i you can attempt to make art that truly resonates with the people right that at least attempts to listen and immerse in the people's stories unlike probably a lot of street art that you might see which doesn't which is kind of often an imposition of the artist's vision and perhaps the artist kind of it can become often a bit of a selfish kind of exploration of oneself mm -hmm. and when i go into certain neighborhoods i mean i was doing that once myself if i'm honest there once upon a time even when i was you know in my adult life as an artist I started my own approach started to change. A few things happened where I started to question my approach when it came to telling the stories of the people. I realized that you have to be a listener, you have to show respect to people, especially if I don't see that wall every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm painting in neighborhoods where they will draw their curtains open and then see the art that I've just left behind. Mm. So how dare I not put them at the center? You must put people at the center and, and that's something that turned around for me and I started to change my approach. Talking about putting people in the center, there's something that you did in New York in America. 
um, after the fire that killed a lot of children in the Bronx. You had a unique experience there, didn't you? You called it the ultimate experience when you were evolving as an artist. Yeah, that was quite a while ago. That was, um, I think it was about 15, 14 years ago now. Yeah, so, so it's a while mm. back. And uh, mm. what, what I found really interesting, and uh, of course you're going to tell us more about it, but the fact that in a fire where the children died, it wasn't just Muslims, it was Muslims and non-Muslims. And I think the majority of, of them were non-Muslims. No, no, they were all Muslims. Oh, they were all yeah, Muslims. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I, <laughs> so if, if, you know, Muslims died in New York in a fire in in the Bronx. You went there and you spent some time with the locals and you did something amazing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I there was a there's a really like a tragedy that happened where a family of the same family there was nine nine members of the same family died in a the fire. There were Malian immigrants and um I'd heard about that and uh, I was I went to New York and I painted a mural and uh, it was with the very fam- same surviving family members, the mother who lost the, her children. And she was there spraying a can with me, you know, we were painting on the mural, you know, so she was actually helping me. And it was literally only months before she'd lost her children. And I'd written on the wall, um, Inna lillahi wa inna ilahi raji'un in Arabic and in English as well. And this community there just responded beautifully to it, you know. I mean, of course it was a... A, a really profound experience in how it was a, you know, a source of healing for the for the family members. Mm. It was a very large family, so some of the brothers and sisters were still were there as well. Um, so it was profound to see the impact it had as a source of healing, but it also showed. It was beautiful. It was also great to see how the community kind of came together. How there was people walking past, curious, curious about you know they were asking curiously about the message, what it said, you know, what does that mean? You know, verily we came from God and verily we belong to God and, you know, to him we shall return. Mm-hmm. There were people discussing this and I just remember feeling like this is profound how the outdoor spaces can be used as, you know, uh, to, 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 to encourage people to think differently, you know, be used as a means of, you know, pro- promoting know healthy conversations about life especially after 9-11 you know conversation about islam conversation about muslims yeah. <clears throat> became very very difficult and in new york out of all places mm. did you how did the locals respond did, did local artists get involved did you know um did you receive positive response in uh, to that or was it very negative absolutely i mean there's a there's a film i think on on online it was a half an hour documentary made about it and it's sitting online somewhere and um Local artists all came down, you know, there were street artists that were all coming and showing respect and got involved as well. So it was, it was a profound experience to be what I would describe as the kind of, um, you know, the capital of, uh, of, of hip-hop culture and graffiti in particular, you know. So that's, that's where hip-hop originally started from, right? Yeah, that's in New right. York. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's arguable, but, you know, generally New York, of course, is the yeah. kind of the center of it, if you like. Mm. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, bringing you back uh, closer to home, uh, going back to Birmingham. So now, you, you know, you, you've kind of evolved. You found uh, Islam was uh, placing a lot of emphasis in the art that you were doing and uh, inspiring a lot of your artwork. <clears throat> in 2008, you established Soul City Arts. It's uh, almost a production company that you were bringing together artists and activists and movements uh, to bring 
people together and I think to take art to ordinary people to make them extraordinary or to reach them to extraordinary levels. Tell us a little bit about Soul City Arts. What inspired you to create an organisation like that? What I found, there was my own craft as an artist, mm. as a graffiti artist, and then you know, I've evolved and started exploring with different mediums, dabbling in theatre and you know putting on installations and shows and things like that so i started to kind of diversify a little bit in terms of beyond the spray can but then i also wanted to look at long-term development and sustainability and kind of growth in terms of taking a community on a journey as well it was great to be able to make these one-off moments of wonder and what i always describe as a kind of a set of fireworks if you like, where it's, you see this spectacle, but like fireworks, you see the beautiful colors and there's a mm. moment of, you know, wow moment. But then after that, nothing, it's just everyone goes home and it's over until next year. And I wanted it not to be just this one-off moment, this spectacle that happens. So the art that I create just be this one-off thing. And I wanted it to be, have some kind of strategy or some kind of thinking behind it, a system, if you like. Something that I could say, you know, a contribution that would go beyond my life and, you know, generations to come. How do we nurture on a deeper level our communities to have a true understanding of why art is a necessary part of, of, and should be at the center of community growth? And that's where I set up an arts organization called Soul City Arts because I started to use that to bring other artists together, put on bigger programs, you know, look at funding sources, get community support, prominent people from the community to understand that now we need a system. There's me as an individual artist, but actually, how do I go beyond just myself here Mm. now? How do I now ensure that there's 10 artists that I can pass on um, the experience and knowledge to and develop how can I ensure that you know we can create platforms for other artists and work with large institutions like museums and theaters and art centers you know not just me as an individual artist that makes this one-off moments as mm-hmm. I described but actually an organization that's has a long-term vision to going to looking at over the next 10 20 years we want to get to a stage where our community artists and support and facilitate growth in mainstream spaces, for example, in the city museums, in the places that our tax, our taxpayers' money are actually keeping open, mm. but yet they are engaging with the very people that keep those open. So I was really committed, and I still am, you know, I'm not saying I've done it at all. I'm still, you know, looking, because it is a hard slog, I tell you, mm. taking our community on a journey, not to come, become just consumers of art, but supporters, advocates, funders, sponsors, um, facilitating institutions for further growth of creatives Mm. so that they can become visionaries that not just become artists, right? I always say that I'm not in the game of creating artists just to make art, but to use creativity and develop artists that could become revolutionary thinkers that where creativity helps nurture their approaches helped nurture a part of their brain that would start would get them thinking radically about new you know age old problems mm-hmm. but looking at you know dealing with them in in an alternative radical new ways 
that's where I'm trying to, I do my best. And I often speak like I am right now to people in the community, to people out there about, let's look, be, how let's, let's break it down where the arts isn't, we talk, take it away from being that fluffy thing, that this esoteric, very, you know, specific thing that's confined to a certain place, even in our community. Oh, that's very nice, that art is very colourful and we see it over there. But let's let's look at how we can replace it right at the centre to deal with very current problems we have, be it segregated communities, be it Islamophobia, be it dealing with how we exist in a multi-faith society. Let's put creativity at the heart of that because at the moment I, I, I struggle to see how we are going to move beyond the same old methods, the same old approaches, unless we place creativity at the heart to nurture a generation that can then come up with completely insane and radical new ways. Mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the times that we're living in now, <clears throat> where we're living in austerity, there's a lot of government cuts, uh, a lot of community groups are complaining that there's no funding, the youth are struggling, and that's leading to a rise in gang culture, a rise in antisocial behaviour. Have you found that your setup, because you've also set up um, something called The Hub in 2011 through Soul City Arts and you're helping the community there. So have you found that benefited the youth and did the youth respond positively to the work that you were trying to get them to do with you? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think every society, I mean, society lacks alternative places for people to come together, right? So we have a problem here because social spaces in this country generally, in Britain, exist around what? Alcohol, pubs, yeah, pubs, bars. clubs, bars. You go yeah. to any social occasion, <clears throat> alcohol, you know, is, is a fundamental part of going out and mm. socializing. Even, you know, the local pub, you will not find the local Muslim community frequenting those places that, no. so you've got a fundamental problem because where are those places those social spaces where you might have people from the community different sectors of that community converging and, and having just normal human conversations organically as well i'm not talking about interfaith week and these kind of orchestrated campaigns that mm. are designed in a short space of time to create harmony and one-off events basically yeah yeah and these programs that force people to interact yeah. i mean I, i'm not belittling those but what i'm saying is that where's the organic spaces for people to converge and just have a bit of banter and say what what's what you know i have question have, have an open session where you, you can just converse and ask difficult questions mm. so when we have a, this dilemma how do how do we respond to that and for me the arts is the answer in creating alternative social spaces that are not attached to a sacred space, i.e. at the back of a mosque, i.e. attached to the church hall, right? A non-sacred space where we're not nervous about, oh, do I, am I, do I have to work, work, take my shoes off? Do I have to do this? How should I behave? That's what you'll get when you're kind of having it around the back of the mosque, right? Yeah. A community hall. How do we create alternative spaces that just naturally will be embedded in the communities and just allow for kind of safe and open conversations and art and all of this? So that was my kind of motivations with trying to create this space. And at a time where there was nothing like that, 
I mean, it really was incredible at the, the times when we did it and to see the hunger for it. I mean, this is quite a while ago, we're talking close to a decade ago, when having a kind of community uh, art space that was Muslim-led as well, in the Muslim community, which is where it was. And people were coming from all walks of life. You know, you had non-Muslims, Muslims coming into this space. And it, people were crying out for it. And it made me realize, my gosh, you know what? Sometimes when we look at these age-old problems of our community, whether it's disengaged youth and, you know, the spiraling kind of violence and gangs and all of this stuff, sometimes the answers are, are quite simple. It's not rocket science. And our community, I think, perhaps often just doesn't quite get it. That's the reality. That we might fund initiatives that are necessary, of course, building places of worship, like our parents did, like my parents did when they came to this country in the you know the sixties. It's great, you know, they they established places of prayer, they established schools, you know, community centres. But now in this day and age that decades later we still don't really have a place where we can kind of converge and explore radical new ways be it the kind of poetry or or film screenings and and just visual arts and just being and having crazy conversations mm. You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, even uh, from the stories of Sahaba and stories of the Prophet from historic context, art played a big role in the Islamic world. Uh, poetry was uh, a big part of the Bedouin culture, the Arab culture mm. in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu And uh, we know that poetry contributed the way to the way we recite Quran, for example, is derived from mm. poetry. And that's, you know, a form of so. art. Did you find that from your travels around the world, you've been to Malaysia, you've been to many Muslim countries, the art that you saw there, uh, the Islamic art, did you find a correlation between what you saw around the world Islam, in terms of Islamic history and what you're doing here in terms of creating pieces of art or creating a, a place mm -hmm. where you allow the sure. youth and people to converse, like you said? Mm -hmm. uh, what's, the, what's the relation between that? How did well, that inspire you, basically? Well, look, I mean, I remember <coughs> the first time when I went, and it was my early adult life, you know, mm -hmm. It's something I, I highly recommend, a, a trip to Andalusia, right? I remember visiting there and thinking, my God, why have we not been to this place? I mean, it's a few hours flight, mm. right? We can fly to South Asia and the Arab world where, you know, our ethnic, you know, where ethnically where we originate. But a two-hour flight to somewhere which was really the heart of kind of, you know, Muslim creativity, you know, uh, it really was you know mind-blowing mm -hmm. to see the architecture the art the design and actually it just challenges the very notion that muslims are you know art isn't part of its heritage creativity and i remember feeling like why were we not taught this at school why is this not fundamentally a part of you know any kind of curriculum where it's surely this will encourage people and the muslim community to be appreciative of the arts mm -hmm. It will help them value the arts and then in turn allow them to to be more open to using the arts or creating the change that is necessary through art. Because it's, it's a very intangible thing, you know, to, to think, how can that art be beneficial for us as a society and community, right? Because you see this quite abstract thing and you think, you know, you want something that you can say that would lead to that. But art is a thing that is, it's, it can't really kind of, grasp it you mm. know in terms of how it actually tangibly kind of leads to any form of change so it's a difficult one when we know and uh, we, when 
you know, as artists and the people who appreciate art, of course we know the direct correlation between the mental state, enriching people through creativity, even seeing the architecture around you that you might see in Andalusia, you see that creativity, the harmony, the kind of inspiration for other people from outside of the Muslim community and what it led to, you know, you can't kind of really, you know, it's an intangible thing that you mm. can't really capture and say, there it is in a, in a bottle. Yeah, that's what it is. You can't do that. Mm. That's why it's, it's, you know, it's forever been this kind of misunderstood thing. And the arts always have. Why they're underappreciated, why it's always been misunderstood, why it's always not, you know, really given its value is because it's this abstract idea that people perhaps can't always grasp. So I think discovering as a young Muslim who's born in this country, um, not being exposed to the rich creative heritage that exists in places like Andalusia and many other Muslim places where mm -hmm. you see architecture, Islamic patterns and calligraphy. And actually, you know, I always say, I've been to schools, right, where there's predominantly Muslim kids and I'd say, how many of you have art hanging in your homes? I've said that, I've posed that. 500 kids, how many have art hanging in your homes? And one or two hands will go up. They'll be like, okay, tell me, what, what are you? Yeah, I've got a painting of some flowers. Someone else was saying, yeah, I've got, you know, a landscape painting. And I say to them, every single one of you here has art in your homes. You just don't even realize it. I said to them, when you pray, what's on the prayer mat? Geometric patterns. You're putting your head down on these patterns every single day. You just don't see it. You're looking mm. at it from a different lens completely. Who has Aytul Kursi or some verses hanging on their walls at home? Every hand will go up. I go, what is that? That's art. The beautification of script, as if the letters are dancing before your eyes. Yeah, jumping off the page. That's art. We just don't see it as that. Hadith, storytelling. It's art. It's poetic. Why don't we see art? Why do we confine art to this thing that you think it's what you see at the Tate in the side of a nice frame with some abstract thing in the middle? It's how we look at it. Art is around us. Art in the Muslim world is is be is beautifying the very thing. It's very um, objects that are actually you know we use practically. It's mm. it's art is kind of embedded in 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 furnishings in the things around us rather than something that is put on a frame like we might see in the West. But actually, in the Islamic world, it enriches our daily life in the things that we use. It's very practical. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in uh, 2009, uh, Muhammad, you were recognized uh, by the mainstream. You were recognized, uh, you were given an award by the Outs Council at the ITV South Bank Show Awards. And the director of diversity, Tony, uh, he, 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 this is his quote. He said, the Arts Council is committed to placing diversity at the heart of arts in England. Muhammad is an exceptional visual artist and a pioneer of socially conscious art with messages of peace, unity, brotherhood, hope and healing. Very powerful words by uh, the Director of uh, um, Diversity in the Arts Council England, which is very, very senior. And I think it must have been a proud moment for you as a Muslim to be recognised in the mainstream. Because a lot of the times our Muslim artists are recognised in the Muslim sphere, not necessarily the mainstream. How did it feel like being out there amongst star-studded celebrities, mm -hmm. presumably, uh, in an award ceremony where you got recognised for the pure work that you were doing? I mean, that was 10 years ago. So mm -hmm. at that time, 
you it was kind of pre like now we are seeing figures that are emerging we see actors of muslim mm-hmm. faith uh, or, or or artists from a muslim background you know like you know you see riz uh, riz ahmed riz ahmed yeah. you know you see goz khan now as well so in that time we're talking 10 years ago mm. it, it was you could count on one hand muslims that you know you had like some peter sanders um and see i'm even struggling now I, you know mm. I, i can't remember at that time i there was nobody mm. right i didn't really have any anyone that i could kind of draw inspiration from and say there's a muslim who's who's kind of excelling and and making moves in the mainstream it didn't happen and i wanted to kind of change that i wanted was hoping to take use my art. I, i i had a vision which was about ensuring that the our voice you know uh, the work that i was doing i wanted it not to kind of glorify myself but it was about i want to make sure i'm going to ensure that what i do is seen in all four corners of the globe through the press through the, you know i was i was very good at creating hype mm. you know and this was kind of before all the social media and instagram and all of that you just i was traveling and i had to go out there and you know i was just to do i just you know i had to build networks in different ways in mm. those days but i wanted to do that because for the sake of my community and my children you know how can i how can we have people out there that are you know people with a name like muhammad muhammad ali someone who's visibly or very openly confidently saying yeah i'm muslim and what this is what i do mm. and i didn't have that i didn't we didn't see that at that time so being in that space i still remember that ceremony you know and there were some serious people there you know i remember ronnie corbett and Andrew Lloyd Webber and what's his name Ben Kingsley they were literally just sitting on the tables around me and I remember thinking what is this this is for, is this real and uh, then I you know won an award and I was gobsmacked um again as I said I think it's it's great to see things are changing now and I think that just shows that these little attempts <coughs> to, for us to be um every little step leads to something else doesn't it you yeah. know that was necessary to open the doors for another 100 creatives that could say you know what we have done it. and it's important to know the legacy as well not to learn the you know historically where we were how we've moved forward mm. i always say that for us to track for us to move forward we it's also important to know where we were and how we progressed it just didn't appear overnight for us to then go look continue continue to build that momentum and also creatively innovate as well to know those that have come before and i'm saying even what rewind back to andalusian periods not just when muhammad ali won you know an arts council award but actually looking back and looking at a timeline and saying we've consistently delivered there might have been a period where things kind of froze up mm. things didn't innovate things due to various reasons whether you know migrant struggles as they moved into and then there was you know our parents they were they weren't against creativity they just didn't have time for it they were busy working Pri- yeah, yeah priorities were different priorities were survival at that point survival yeah. making making a living feeding your kids yeah. making sure there was food on the table they didn't they weren't able to frequent the tate and the and the museums and say hey son i'm going to we're going to go to the museum and check out some old old items in the yeah <laughs> the, no i i remember you know in my family we used to have uncles <coughs> and uh, brothers that used to work Mm. uh 7 days a week sometimes yeah. just to make ends meet and to make sure that we got a, a good future you know uh, there's a notion and i've heard it said before that the muslims are like anti islam uh, sorry i've heard before the notion that muslims are kind of anti art or they just you know don't really get it and they don't value it 
It's true. There is an extent to that that is true. But at the same time, I think that's in inaccurate because it's not like that they're not, they don't, you know, accept it. It's they just, historically, especially the journey of migrants, we're talking about migrant Muslim communities, they, they, they just didn't have, you know, the time and the, and, and they've came, you know, the social class, they, they just weren't able to do that. But actually, if you look back into some of the, the countries that some of the migrant communities come mm. from, you know, they, it was, you know, very, very out there. The creativity was flourishing and it was part of their culture. But just when you come and we're talking about migrant communities that settled in a, in a, you know, an alien land, if you like, mm. you know, they had other things to figure out. Racism, fighting skinheads, you know, mm. there was battling to establish yourself, establishing your community, being able to provide for you. You know, all of these things yeah. were things that kind of become a bit more of a priority than going yeah. to a, yeah. to the, to a theatre. Now, you were also recognised by the royal family in 2011. You were, you were honoured with an MBE uh, in recognition of your services to arts and uh, community cohesion. Um, to be recognised by the royal family for the positive contribu contribution you've made to, number one, to the Muslim community, but also to the wider community, must have felt like a, a massive uh, endorsement to the hard work that you have done over the years. Yeah, I guess so. I mean... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, certainly my family were happy, and many from the community were also. Um, personally, I'm not. I'm not someone who's who's kind of, when it comes to awards and accolades and all of this, it's. I see the value of it. If I'm honest, I mean, I'm kind of hesitating even talking about it, but because there is a struggle in that. Because I, I don't, you know, it's not about the awards and achievements, but I also do recognise the need for the community, and I, I, in within that struggle, I think, the realization for me kind of dealt with this struggle for me and kind of put me at ease a little bit when I thought about how the community is uplifted when when they see those awards going to the kind of people from that community when they see and what they kind of impact it as psychologically even of 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 these awards and these and the um, successes that are, that need to be shared actually I, I I do now strongly feel that this, any relative success that I may have, I need that to benefit my community. Yeah. I, I mean, ulti ultimately, what we do, and I'm sure all the work that you have done, ultimately is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to uh, attain success in the eyes of Allah and recognition in the eyes of Allah before anybody else. Mm. But do you feel that given the struggles that the community has gone through in the 60s and 70s, you know, fighting to establish ourselves, fighting to make ourselves a position in, in this country. Do you think these sort of awards help cement that place for the future generation to say, hey, you're very much part, part of this culture, you're very much part of this country and its community? There's, there's, there's it's, a, it's, a, it's complicated, but it's not so, actually. It's, now what we're talking about is this very notion, this idea of back home and, that, and often this kind of detachment that we have this is our society here because when we're talking about migrant Muslim communities and I, I'm, I can speak from my own experience yeah. this idea of back home I'm, what does that even mean going back home I and mean, when we did the compulsory trips with the family and which is something I totally valued of well rather I value now not so much then <laughs> I'd rather go to Spain to be honest on a holiday but um, at that time we were kind of had this we were in kind of no man's land right 
Because we knew really, and I brought up, I was brought up with it. My father, I remember my father telling me, you know, um, one day, son, you know, just like Idi Amin said, you, they will throw us out one day. They might say, go. Mm. So I remember kind of wrestling with these ideas that this isn't home. And actually hearing about going back home, that till this day we hear people use it very freely back home. So what does that suggest? This isn't home. So if this isn't home, where are you going to actually actively contribute? Are you going to send your money and your time and your energy and resources to develop somewhere else that you, where you don't live and let things fall to pieces here? Mm. So this is the fundamental problem where actually we, we totally must contribute for the sake of the future generations, my children, and to, to, to create a harmonious society here. We have to break from this idea. There's no harm in having emotional connections, personal connection with you know the motherland, if you like, or your kind of cultural. We can't. Background. We can't forget our roots. So we, absolutely, yeah, as much as and we, I don't, we want to. I, yeah. yeah, and absolutely, I don't. As in many projects I'm working on, absolutely acknowledge that you totally cannot disconnect. I I, I used to almost run from that, and I used to think you know the culture and all of that, but um, it, was, it was more recently where I, I recognised. The absolute need that you you can run all you like from your ethnic kind of or cultural heritage but one day and i did i ran all my life but one day it's gonna kind of hit you in the face like a mirror and it's gonna say to you who are you who do you think you are and that's what happened to me i used to run i used to think you know i ain't got time for that it's not so i've never lived there it's got nothing to do with me i'm born and raised in birmingham in the uk but it did. It one day just hit me in the face and said, "You need. You don't know who you are at all." So I think it's it's totally something which is a, a, a dilemma in a way. It's a massive problem in that. How do we encourage? How do? How can we nurture this kind of uh, people's kind of you know this this? How do they wrestle with all of this? Where is home yeah. first of all? And that needs to be dissected and explored because I fun, I think herein lies the problem when people don't see here as home. Yeah. Now, moving on, uh, since 2011, Muhammad, you have done so many other things. But there has been, shall I say, has there been a quiet period for you from 2011 to 2019? Or what have you been working on? What has your focus been for the last nine years? Yeah, things have um, have changed a lot for me. You know, I've, I'd probably say I've enjoyed kind of being... Just getting on with things, to be honest with you, mm. you know, there was a point where, you know, I was really getting out there and then there came a point, especially with all the social media and a new generation now, it just felt like, I don't know, I think I just became a bit disillusioned by it and I just felt like... Taking doing, a step back. Yeah, I mean, just doing what I do yeah. and going into new places, traveling and just coming up with new ideas, new forms. Um and that's kind of where I've, I've I've transitioned a lot away from what I was doing. Over these years, I'd say I'd, I was known as just, I suppose, the graffiti artist. And I was, was going to say that because mm. uh, I've known you, I've known and I've heard of you as the graffiti artist, Muhammad Erosul Ali. Mm. And a lot of my generation will recognize you and remember you for being the graffiti artist. But mm. the younger generation, the teenagers or people in their mid-twenties, for example, they might know you for other recognitions, or other mm. work that you have done, because you don't do graffiti anymore. You don't mm. just do graffiti. You do well, bigger things now. Well, look, herein lies the dilemma again. We've got here, in um, even in my name, my, my the identity, aerosol Arabic is why mm. I was, you know, going back 20 years. That now, was your tagline. That, that was the, the artist's name. Yeah. 
I don't just do aerosol, <clears throat> and I certainly don't do just Arabic. Far from it. Both of those are probably 30% of what I do now. Don't get me wrong. But I, you evolve as an artist. You have to evolve, Absolutely. of course. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be a bit boring, right? You know, so... I've I'm now I'm just I'm just an artist Muhammad Ali that's enough I mean people know you know what I'm about I don't need to spell it out say aerosol Arabic you know that's far from what I do um, and my audience is very different now you know I'm I'm kind of I'm just an artist that makes art that I hope connects with people of all faith mm. and I, you know there's no point you don't need to shout about it sometimes the best form of communication anyway and, and conveying something you don't always have to shout you can you know you can let your work do the talking for you you can let the work do the talking you can create you can say something you can whisper something and be more profound than someone shouting you can paint a giant colorful mural somewhere or you can create a discrete piece of art in a certain wall in a well positioned well placed in the city and actually be equally as impactful if you like mm -hmm. so that's where i learned the kind of the power of kind of communicating in different forms and looking at and assessing different situations and scenarios and going what would be the best response here it's very easy to just kind of go I'm just going to shout I'm going to go and paint and splash this piece of art on a wall here but sometimes you just have to step back and I started to think like that I thought that's not the best place for it mm -hmm. even though it feels like the obvious one you go now nah, I prefer that wall that's down that alleyway around the back over there and that's much more impactful now bringing it back to um you obviously had fantastic experience. Now, now we can see the journey that you've taken from the old graffiti, the Muhammad Ali that used to do graffiti, then to do Islamic-inspired art, then to do stuff on TEDx in the Vatican. I mean, it's fascinating. The one time I, w I was invited to the Vatican, I was doing a TEDx talk in the Vatican. It was quite surreal. You know, There was Gloria Estefan, who were also on the lineup that day, and who else? There was an NBA basketball player, some high-profile people, and I was like, what? I was a Muslim who was there in the Vatican. And I was doing a live painting, and I had a kind of soundscape that was playing while I was painting. And then I also had these audio recordings of my, when I went for Umrah, and I mm. had the sound of people making dhikr. I had an audio recorder, and I captured this sound of, people will know what I'm talking about, that murmuring of 100,000 people all in supplication, mm. making dua. Mm. I captured that hum, you know, mesmerizing sound. And I said, I've been saving that audio recording for the right project. I said, I'm going to wait for the right place to use these. It's got to be special. And I chose to pull that out when I went and performed at the Vatican. And I had a mic. I was mic'd up because as a speaker, you do. While I'm painting, I'm speaking at the same time. And I was explaining the sounds. I said, what you are hearing now is my recordings for my pilgrimage of hundreds of thousands of people making supplication. And then that kind of blended out and there was sounds of um, like Gregorian chants, right? Quite abstract, it was just like this ambient sound. So it was kind of, that was subtle in the background and then the, it kind of dipped out into the Adhan and the, the, the sounds of people making dua. And by the end of this, this performance I did, which was very immersive, you know, the, the you know the sounds and the visuals I was painting. At the end of it, someone came to me and said, "You know, there was a whole row of people. There was about five, six people. There was a whole row that they were in tears during the performance." And what struck me, I thought, 
that's strange. I didn't do anything that was directly, like you could say, emotional. I wasn't telling a story about anything that was, you know, obviously kind of very personal or emotional. Mm. And I thought, what is it that triggered that? Mm. Why was there this spontaneous? They said spontaneously they just were in tears, all of them. And I was really curious. I said, that's what kind of led me on this journey of trying to capture that moment in a bottle, trying to understand. And I do this a lot whenever I create, whether it's a piece of art or an installation or a performance, I like to track, almost like militarily look at what was the formula. I need to capture the process. And I will immediately engage with the viewer and say, tell me how you feel. Why do you feel what you feel right now? Tell me what, what point, what led to that? And that's what I tried to do with that performance of the Vatican. I wanted to understand what led to this kind of almost this this moment that just kind of where people were, you know, overwhelmed. Because I tell you what, I want to recreate that. Mm. We need to, I want to pass that knowledge on. And that's what I try to do now, which is strategically, and as it's almost a language that's quite alien in a way to an artist, mm. right? Which is artist, take off your artist hat and think strategically and and track and and actually measure and go what doses of what was the lighting like what was the sound level and what you know the time span it went for and actually track it and go there is there's the formula yeah now in, in uh, february this year february mm. 2019 you went on a journey um we all know <clears throat> about the conflict in syria uh five more than five million people have been uh, fleeing from Syria and over 5 million people have actually left Syria and they're residing in other countries as refugees. Uh, that's the size of West Midlands. It's massive. This, I mean, the scale of uh, this disaster has been horrendous. Over eight years, more than 6 million are displaced within their own countries and over 5 million have fled to other countries. So you went to Lebanon uh, with Islamic Relief and uh, you went and spent some time with the refugee children there. Tell us a little bit about, uh, before you met the children, what what did you go there for and what was your vision of achieving by speaking to these children? Yeah. Um, I think um, sometimes, I think sometimes as artists or as an artist that um, explores social change through the work that I do, mm. and it's always attempting to try to bring about change and deal with important issues in society through the art that I make. I think embedding myself and immersing myself in the reality was a necessary part. I, it's been a necessary part of what I do. I, I feel for me to honestly convey something and capture the spirit of something and make something that truly resonates with people or an audience or the viewer, to capture that spirit honestly and accurately I have to immerse myself in that situation. So going out actually into the camps, listening, observing, engaging, organically as well, just going out and walking, not orchestrating too much, just going out naturally, just having human engagement with, with people and children. Um, and to bring a bit of color into their lives, there's, there's a few, Things that I, I suppose intentions, although I went on a kind of a, sometimes it's good to go out with no expectations. It was just, let's see what comes out of it mm -hmm. naturally, rather than sometimes I think the best change comes about through things that are like 
kind of sporadic and random, mm. spontaneous as opposed to orchestrated and kind of a campaign that's kind of, you know, created to bring change. Change comes about through sometimes mm. accident by accident, not through design all the time. And that, so, I think that's, that's important as, a, as an artist for you to be able to have that freedom to go and absorb what you yeah. see and then to be able to express it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, going out there, as I said, um, I, I went out just to listen and observe. I talked to some of the uh, the, the parents who had children, you know, engaged with some of the kids. And as I said, just one might say, going out there, and I eventually I was I created art there. I did a, a painting on a wall in, in one of the centres run by Islamic Relief. And I also painted a random van that was on, on, on the beach. We're going to come to that. Yeah. Now, one might say, well, what good is art? painting yeah. some art for these kids but you know it's what I said before sometimes it's in art is this intangible thing that you can't track you can't quantify you can't really capture the change that that art would bring but I, I can argue and I can explain it to you which is the mental state of a child of, of, of not just a child anyone that art and colour brings mm. you know one of the things I always do I sometimes feel that Art, in order, I have to be almost an ambassador or an advocate for the arts in a language that people get, because artists are often these, we can often be a little bit too abstract when we're even talking about our art. Artists need to communicate well, communicate in a form that people get. And I always say that actually we need to prove art, and we do need to actually put it in a very formulaic, very you know, you know, in a simple man's terms, if you like. Mm. And I say that, you know, there was studies by the University of California that did some tests on the brain and on the impact of visual art on human beings, right? So I'm trying to explain art through science here, right? Mm. And that's what's needed because that's the language that people understand. You can forever talk about this art thing and they'll be like, yeah, yeah it's not really my mm. thing. But let's talk science then. The University of California did some tests on the brain and they showed some visual art pieces, some colourful visual pieces of art and the reactions on the brain and they showed pictures of deceased loved ones of the same person and they found the brain reacted the same way to seeing one of their you know, deceased members of their family in the same way they saw the art. That for me is incredible. That's the language we need to talk when we're mm. conveying why art is fundamental and why it should be at the heart of change when it comes to our communities, because that just proves, that just sh shuts any critic up, if you like, that when I go out into the Lebanese, into the camps of Syrian children, or the impact that colour on that wall will make, not just in making of that with those, which was, that in itself would be a profound experience, but also seeing that piece of art on a daily basis. We all know that the impact weather has mm. on the mental state right mm. you know it's a cloudy day it's always raining you know British weather for example it's always example. doom and gloom you yeah. just want to stay inside it, you don't want to socialise with don't. anybody whereas you watch the yeah. sun come out and people are you know yeah, suddenly there's clear stuff, yeah. correlations there absolutely. so absolutely that colour that they would see on that wall it's not going to solve all their problems I'm not claiming that as an artist that's going to happen but I can certainly contribute to try and bringing a bit of colour into their lives you know on a daily basis even in a permanent space and I think you know, and then after coming back from there, I painted a mural in Greenwich in London as a response to what I saw that I can share here. So actually the benefits are twofold here, really. Mm. 
directly to the people that over there who would see that art and bring a bit of color, but then also to the viewers here on a street corner, people in the rat race going into work every day, thousands of cars that will go past that wall painted in Greenwich would be hit with something that isn't just like your, I suppose, typical graffiti you would see on Shoreditch somewhere, but actually you, you see this, this, the, you'll see the kind of profile of two children that I actually saw out there. I took a photograph of these two children and you can see them literally kind of captured on the wall. It was almost a window into their world. Absolutely, that's, that's the best way to describe it. It really was what I see over there. I've captured that or tried to capture that and actually splash that, like you said, a window into the world, into reality. Because yeah. you know what? We see all of that on our TV screens. You know, because when, when we watch TV, for example, if we watch news or yeah. all the various live appeals that a lot of charities are doing, um, it, it's great. But often we see the destruction, the the sad state of the country and all the deaths and, and uh, losses. So the communication that we get about war and, and innocent mm, children that mm. are losing their lives is often of destruction. Yeah. But one thing that really caught my eye in your trip in Lebanon was spending time with that ch with those children and giving them that platform to express themselves because these children they saw nothing but conflict death destruction through their lives i mean it's been eight years since, since the conflict started in syria a lot of these children have known nothing but conflict and we know that as, as children when we were growing up we needed to play we needed to go out with friends we needed to have a safe environment where mm. we can express ourselves and be naughty you know just things that all our children would do how did you find that experience in, in that centre run by Islamic Relief? Because Islamic Relief has a centre in Lebanon, right? Where they That's allow right. children to That's right. to be children and to be innocent right. and, and to express themselves. I mean, what I, what I really kind of appreciated about the centre, it was it wasn't a school. It was actually a complimentary space where they encouraged the arts and bringing me out to be in the centre um, to kind of, it was in addition to their schooling, but it was allowing a space and recognising the need for that extra nurturing of creativity and of dealing with the the other issues that these the trauma mm. that these children are kind of have, are living with and are stuck with, and to do that through the arts, you know, uh, you know, because that's very much up your street, isn't it? That's what you've been advocating for in right. the UK, yeah, yeah. all around the world, where you're giving so, the youth yeah, that, that space to express themselves and to do something. Totally, totally. So and here you are in Syria. You're totally, working with yeah, kids right. that have seen bloodshed, have seen destruction. Mm. How did they respond to you working with them and do, you know, doing arts? I mean, I, I'm I work with a lot of kids and I've worked with kids around the globe. You know, from you know ghettos in Los Angeles and Johannesburg, but to be in a refugee camp and to be firsthand witness and see um, the sheer destruction, you know, and seeing the impact of of you know the children. You know, children is is something that is a wake up call for anyone. And actually seeing that the, the trauma and the, and the, you know, how they are kind of displaced from their homes, you know, I mean, this is something that really struck me of how people were, you know, they had three-story homes mm -hmm. and now they're living in homes made of fabric, for God's sake. You know, this is, this is something that we really need to kind of just contemplate for a second and seeing them kind of just getting on with things. But actually, how much of it is really being resolved or is it kind of really buried for them and I you know I think that trauma is just something that is kind of contained within them and anything that's suppressed is unhealthy for anybody you've mm. got to channel that 
and to channel, channel it through, out. yeah, mm. and you channel that through the arts, even if it's in the form of a painting or something visual, to release, to talk and discuss, to not suppress, to just just let it flow, is a necessary part of any human kind of um, kind of resolve and to kind of kind of uh, overcome. Mm. So to see the center, uh, which was a complementary space for these children, it was like in addition to their schooling. It was fine, you know, learning to read and write and all of the basic things, but to recognize is something I'm always a big advocate for, of course, from the nature of my work, which is the arts being, you know, really kind of prominent in, you know, as part of any kind of program to, you know, to create brilliant human beings, to be able to deal with some of the trauma. Sometimes I think the arts is, is the only way to deal with some of these things, actually. You know, we've tried all the other forms and it's it was just encouraging to see a center that was dedicated to using alternative ways of kind of dealing with some of the, the trauma that very, very young kids are dealing with. So, you know, it totally kind of spoke my language and to go out there into the camps and, and contribute through what I do, mm. you know, I'd only encourage more of that. And I just, I just wish more of our communities embraced this more and saw and placed heart, the arts really at the forefront of change. Mm. Now, in, in uh, during your journey in Lebanon, uh, you were driving along to another town to visit a family, and you suddenly come across this um, <clears throat> battered van on the beach, and you decided you wanted to uh, spray uh, spray graffiti, whatever you want to call it. You wanted to decorate it. What was that all about? Yeah, you know, it's uh, as a uh, spontaneity is always something that is leads to some brilliant things, and it's always exciting, isn't it? I suppose there's a spirit of me as a graffiti artist, just just kind of going it's almost like nothing in your path stops you you just yeah. kind of paint over it just go over it it's almost like the spray can and the colors just spill over everywhere and it's there's something quite exciting about you know not being confined to a certain space the four corners of a canvas but actually there is no canvas splash right across and let it spill out and it's something quite you know exciting and liberating about that so this van that we found just completely battered and it was rusty it was horrible i mean it's something if i can paint a picture for our listeners uh, this van was something that we would call a scrap in this country forget driving it i think yeah. that would be something you'd find in a scrapyard bumperless you know dense in every corner of the car yeah. and you found this and it was actually uh, belonged to someone it did belong to someone and actually what happened was i had my heart set i saw it with the backdrop of the sea and i just thought it just screamed out it was saying paint me now <laughs> right and i just got out walked along the beach i was just and i saw this van and i was, I was like i gotta paint that i need to paint it, it needs to be painted because for me you know the essence of 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 me for an artist is for me real beauty is not something which is inherently beautiful but rather something that transforms from being ugly into something of beauty mm. there's something quite profound and magical about taking something that is an eyesore that is rusty that is dirty that is complete destruction and turning that into something beautiful mm -hmm. as opposed to something that is has always been you know uh, an aesthetic beautiful thing you know so seeing that van and to be able to transform that was quite uh quite exciting however the van that i wanted to paint that very van we sent people to find the owner so that of course as I mentioned earlier, you know, you've got to have permission. You permission, can't just you know, paint I can't just random paint van. Some, <laughs> I can't paint some random guy's van. You know, I can't be doing that. So we sought permission. We found 
people with the same family name of the owner to go and approach them to say, listen, you know, this guy <laughs> wants to paint your van. But he was adamant he didn't allow it. So what we did, we found, we found a whole bunch of other folks who were willingly offering their white vans and they were equally as, as rust buckets like this, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, it, and we, we literally placed the van next, or just, just further up from that van yeah. in the same setting. And we painted that van and they were over the moon because now that van's driving around Beirut, <laughs> you know, overnight he just has suddenly had his van, rust bucket rather, <laughs> transformed into something like you know as a, a driving piece of art around the city yeah look it, I, i'm not gonna lie i mean for, for our viewers i'm sure you can you can see it it looks it looked fantastic it was brilliant i mean when i first mm. saw saw the image and i i was gobsmacked and uh for, for our listeners if, if if you want to watch it you can always go on on youtube and we'll, we'll send you the links to um, go and watch it but it, it must be seen to be appreciated now uh the art that you drew on the van that art, that graffiti, and that piece that you drew on the uh, on the van, that was very much translated from the time that you spent with the kids. There was a deeper message in the art that you drew. Can you tell us a little bit about the contents of that art and what it represented? Yeah, I mean, I whenever I'm in a place, I'm kind of looking <clears throat> at kind of the urban landscape, the kind of structures around, whether it's satellite dishes and TV aerials and chimneys, and just capturing the urban environment and you see that kind of set within the painting mm. um, because I want it to be something that's familiar, that resonates with people. They see themselves reflected. When someone sees something of themselves reflected, there's an instant kind of form of, of, of connection with that mm. because they, you know, it's something familiar, you know, and comforting if you like almost. So that's what was kind of the backdrop of the painting, but you see also a silhouetted form of a girl who's reading because um, from the center that I just came out of, literally, you know, straight out of, you know, I'd walked into what we call the storytelling room. Mm. And it was this kind of great little room that, and there was a quote on the wall that said something on the lines of, you know, you, 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 you are what you read. Yeah, you are, yeah, that was right. Yeah. There was, in the storytelling room, there was this great quote on the wall that said something on the lines of, you are what you read, you know, we know you from what you read. And, from that, I mean, I kind of kept, kind of drew the imagery of of books, and actually, you see them kind of the the paper fluttering away. It's almost as if the paper was just, you know, like the books and and the and the environment of the child was almost kind of disturbed by something, some kind of energy. Whether you see the like the, literally the paper floating away, mm. as if it's some kind of whirlwind of of some kind of you know storm or some kind. But it was there was something about the disruption of it. It was this quite peaceful image if you like of this girl who was, was it was it an image of a girl who represented all the children innocent children that had dreams that had ambitions well, well, totally, just like our children totally you know i'm in one of the camps now and i had my giant ipad pro right mm. which is with the apple pencil right mm. and i'm and I, I i just walking around and just some kids i started they just come up and asked i was they were i was drawing and they were started to draw with my ipad right and then they were like they were running back they said, oh, I've got some drawings I want to show you, mm. right? And the irony being, he said, oh, I've got a drawing I want to show you. And he brought it back, and it was basically that Disney cartoon, the Cars. Oh, yeah, And yeah. it was just like, you know, coloring. It was just a one page out of a coloring mm. book. And he'd colored in these cars, right? That was his painting that he, he was talking about. But it was, you know, he probably didn't have the resources, the tools. It literally was someone had ripped it out of a coloring book that we take for granted that you'd pick up a, 
you know, Tesco or whatever. Mm. And he had one page that he'd colored in. And as soon as I saw that car that he'd colored in, I said to him, do you want to see the car that I colored in? Right? <laughs> and on my iPad, lo and behold, I had a photo of the van that I'd painted. So I said, there you go. And they were mesmerized by it. And then all these kids, there's about 15 kids all huddled around my iPad. Right? And I'll tell you what struck me at that moment. Shall I tell you what, what really struck me? This iPad Pro, right, that these kids, Syrian kids, were on an iPad designed by who? Probably the most famous Syrian person, refugee. Syrian refugee, mm. Steve Jobs. And he was Syrian children in Lebanon who were playing with this device. And it just made me think about our trajectories, where we're going, and these children, and where, where are they now, and where will they be? And that just really, it was a kind of a bit of a light bulb moment. I just thought, wow, this is profound. Mm. This device that they've probably never seen in their lives before. The fact that there was this digital pen device that wasn't actually, there was splashing color with this little pen. It's incredible innovation that we, I suppose, we take for granted. Mm. Yeah. Because there's no paints, there's no, you know, brushes and there's nothing. I literally standing in a camp and they were just splashing color with on digitally on my iPad. And I just thought, look at the impact that just playing with color had. For a moment, these kids just were immersed in this color and this moment of expression that perhaps took them away from their daily routine, their daily lives, that they, you know, that kind of mundane routine of, you know, they haven't got anything to do. They haven't got any places to go. Mm. They don't have no school trips to look forward to. They don't on the weekend are able to go anywhere somewhere fun with their parents. There is no amusement park. There isn't they can find in a camp with there isn't even a park fence, with yeah. a swing in it. Mm. There's no slide. These kids are just walking around in freezing cold. So it just I just thought about, you know, the way they were colouring on this iPad, I just thought this is, you know, the importance of what art how art absolutely I cannot emphasize enough how art it sounds like a bit of a tired old cliche when I say art changes the world. But I tell you what, I've been doing this for a long time. People must embrace how art will change the world. Mm. Injected with 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 you know with the spirit of 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 us as injected with 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 meaning and content and and, and people's kind of uh, you know desire for change, the arts, you know, absolutely can of change the situation the ugliness of the world that we see today now fast forwarding to you coming back to the uk after you've visited the syrian children you come to the uk and you chose greenwich uh to do something unique uh to paint a mural and this was a quite a long wall outside greenwich islamic center uh the woolwich mosque first of all what struck you about greenwich why did you choose to have to install this piece of art in the UK in Greenwich you know sometimes it's it's the unusual thing or the thing that kind of falls off the radar that can be the most compelling mm. the thing that's off the beaten track that makes you want to go when you're on holiday you it's not the typical place you want to go but that place that's just over there that people say don't go to that actually you think, I want to go to that place. There's some magic in that. 
of just kind of not doing the expected thing. It would be easy for me to have done something in Shoreditch or in Whitechapel somewhere where perhaps a lot of street art is paint mm -hmm. and you see street art everywhere. However, going into Greenwich and seeing the street and the location, it felt like the colour was needed there more than any other place. Mm -hmm. And it's something that would shine out as opposed to be something that was drowned out mm -hmm. by urban chaos and other colours and stencils and tags and advertisements and billboards that you would see in the other typical places. Yeah. So that's why for me, Greenwich, with the backdrop of the mosque behind as well, I stand, sometimes I look, when I choose a wall, I don't just look at the wall, I turn my back to the wall and look at the surrounding environment and something just says, this is the place. Because you look at the, almost like how an urban planner would or an architect would work. When you build a building, you look at how it might complement the wider environment. You look at how it looks from, you know, not just five meters, but a hundred meters away. Mm. Who will see this? Who are the people that will go past this every day? So you think about the wider dynamics of how my art can be not fighting the environment, but actually complementary to the environment. Mm. And I often don't think mural painters and street artists think about that enough because I don't want my art to be something that's just jarring with yeah. the landscape. Actually, if I'm thinking about long-term, if I'm thinking about how the art might be embedded, and actually the message can be a completely, can have a different meaning even, yeah. when something is meant to almost feel like it was supposed to be there, as opposed to a fleeting moment that is kind of ephemeral and would just, you know, is transient. There's something, of course, you know, some sometimes those places, suit that but this one just felt like the right place and when you're drawing the uh the mural in greenwich uh very colorful i mean before you started painting on it, it was just a dull brown wall that had nothing on it and uh, when you started drawing on it you splashed color as you do and you drew what you saw what we saw on the van in syria and you replicated it in uh greenwich can you tell us a little bit about the message behind what you drew there? There were birds, there was a fence, you know, there was a tent in the background. There's a lot of detail, a lot of um, mm. maybe hidden messages, but I don't want to call it hidden because obviously this is out in a mural. Yeah, but maybe uh, some something for viewers to mm. reflect on, some passersby that they can reflect on. Tell me a little bit about the background to what you drew on Greenwich. You know... I think in the age we live in of kind of information overload of screens, whether it's our phones, tablets or TV screens, where we kind of bombarded with just visuals, we just kind of overload of it, information, and we're just flicking on our screens and we don't really connect with it. It's just becomes just another image. I think it's the, the lack of empathy of human beings, you know, mm. we even see a fight in a street and the instinct is what pull out your phone you know it's 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 the human you know human instinct now is just it's gone to another level if you like the instinct is to film mm. and not be kind of in it and that's what i wanted to do was to create a little bit of a window how can i do that how can i create a window into the reality of another of another place another world and bring that right here onto the streets of the uk in london it would be something that I would hope be quite jarring as well because mm. you wouldn't expect to see a scene 
of two Syrian children. And these children were two very children before in my eyes that were, I was following with my camera and I waited for the right moment. I, I captured the profile of these two, these three children. And then life-size figures can be seen of the profile of these children on the wall that I literally almost kind of captured the spirit of these children playing and kind of implemented that in the wall. I kind of, as I said, I, I wanted, you know, people who are, you know, going into work every day and there was a very high, you know, a lot of traffic on that street. <clears throat> I want them to kind of sit up and just almost to jump out at them a little bit. Sometimes we need that glitch yeah. to wake us up. I think these anomalies or something unexpected in a place where you wouldn't expect to see something, that glitch is necessary for, for us to just go, what was that? And that's what I always often strive for. Sometimes you need something to be embedded mm. and be complementary and almost feel like it's supposed to be there. Other times you can create something that, like I said, can just be a jolt to the system, mm. right? And I think we need more of that to wake people up. And that's the beauty of thinking creatively and, be, and, and how the arts plays an important role in encouraging us to respond like that sometimes and to assess at what times we need to engage in different kind of method, methods, if you like. Yeah. And that's what the purpose of that war for me was to be a bit of a, a glitch moment that would trigger, I'd hope, some kind of you know, reaction, whatever it might be, people just at least kind of thinking differently and maybe every single day, who knows, everyone who might, a child that might walk past that wall every day is going to glance at that wall. You can't, you, you can't help but not do that. Mm. And maybe ask questions, who are those children? I mean, it was very, very, uh, very powerful, very strong, the images of the three children holding hands, two children holding hands. Um, very cute. I have to say, I mean, the, 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 these are not just drawings. These are real children that you filmed, you saw, and you spent time with. And here they are on a mural in Greenwich. Absolutely. I just, you know, that's that's what I wanted. The simplicity of it, just children playing. You could think all day long about trying to be clever about what kind of art would be a, you know, as this is what I said about overthinking and maybe perhaps orchestrating something, a campaign to try to, bring create empathy and sometimes it's just very simple you just go out there i had no idea what i was going to paint but just the simplicity of seeing these children made me i was just compelled to them i took the picture i didn't even think i was going to form the painting at that time mm. but then just on reflection looking at the painting sorry the, looking at the photograph mm. just said these are children like my own children mm. and i painted them full size as if they were you know the actual size that you know a child you know when you stand next to it so the reality of the fact that these are children. Mm. And you painted it in March 2019. What was the significance of painting it during that month uh, or during that week even? So Islamic Relief approached me about, you know, this Day of Innocence campaign, which is a, a day which kind of commemorated eight years since the, um, the beginning of the conflict in Syria. Um, so, I you know, I was approached to kind of commemorate that in a kind of radical new way and, and I I completely uh, embrace that the opportunity for as an artist to just respond in whichever way whichever form you know as I said actually kind of responding in a form that wasn't too defined and orchestrated 
is what intrigued me. I, you know, I like that freedom and not everybody gets that. Mm-hmm. I get approached many a time. Can you design this? Can you paint that? Can you, we've got a brand, we've got a theme and we'd like you to deal with this message and do that. And, you know, sometimes I, that, that kind of, that, those limitations, limitations yeah. can be very off-putting as mm. an artist. Mm. You know, I'm flexible, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm definitely someone who's open, but sometimes when, you know, people define the, the creativity for you, you're like, well, you might as well do it yourself <laughs> then, you know? Why, why do you need me, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and for the purpose of our listeners and viewers, if you want to see the, um, the art in, in Greenwich, they can go on the Islamic Relief's YouTube channel, uh, Facebook, and you can uh, watch it there. Um, Mohammed, what's your social media channels? Where can people go and find out more about you and your work? Oh gosh, okay, yeah. So, um, I know you said he said social media is not your kind of thing. It is, yeah. But I'm sure I've, you've got you've got. Instagram, I have, of course, you, I have got Facebook. I have, yeah, yeah. Sadly, you have to kind of engage with it in a way, <laughs> right? Um, so, on my Instagram is one I'm I'm beginning to populate a lot more which is Ali Aerosol yeah. um, is my tag on there and then on Twitter it's the opposite it's Aerosol Ali okay Twitter Ali, Aerosol Ali and Instagram Ali Aerosol and then on Facebook it's uh, my name I think is Mohammed Ali Aerosol okay alright perfect. <laughs> perfect sounds simple uh, I think Mohammed Ali Aerosol on search engine will bring up your Twitter account and uh, yeah. yeah, inshallah. So uh, just to finish up now, we've taken a lot of your time. And uh, just to finish up, where does the future uh, take you now? Gosh, okay. So I, I'd say I'm committed to taking my community. And when I say my community, my community is broad. Once I'd say I was from the Muslim community and I totally sit slam. I'm 100% confidently proud to say I'm from the Muslim community but that community I wear many different hats we all do I'm from many different communities I have a duty to all of the communities whether it's the Bangladeshi community the British community Birmingham community wherever it may be it's about you know connecting communities dealing with some of the issues we have through the arts I'm committed to trying to engage the disengage with the arts you know, people who don't really value art and try to, in a form they really get, we all must place arts and we must work together to really place art at the heart of any of our approaches when it comes to changing our condition in society. Mm. Uh, well, Mohammed, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I must say a journey for me and I'm sure for our listeners as well as, well as uh, our viewers. A journey into something that we often neglect and something we often don't think about because art like you said is neglected uh, in in the community here for various reasons and we've discussed that in detail so i'd like to thank you jazakallah khair for Barakallah giving khair. us that insight and uh, i pray that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes you from success to success Amen. and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala use you for the betterment of the community whether muslim non-muslim and a lot of the good work that you're doing may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow you to carry on the good work and take you from strength to strength Amen. Well, that's all uh, we have time for, uh, my dear listeners and viewers. Uh, for those of you uh, who want to know more about the Art Mural campaign, you can go to islamicrelief.org.uk and uh, you can uh, always go to their Facebook uh, site where you can visit and uh, look at all the work that they have done. And I must say, Islamic Relief has been running for 35 years now and the work that they have done 
in Syria and other parts of the world is groundbreaking, is phenomenal. And this uh, project that Muhammad has visited is a community centre that allows children to be innocent again, allows children to express themselves and have that freedom that our children have in the UK and uh, other parts of the world. And this is the type of work that you can support uh, Islamic Relief going forward, inshallah. So for more information on Islamic Relief's work and its projects, go to islamic-relief.org.uk. And of course, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, you can also uh, watch it on uh, Ilmfeed. Uh, please subscribe to the Ilmfeed's YouTube channel and uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter, as well as uh, iTunes, I believe the podcast is going to go on iTunes and many, many other platforms, inshallah ta'ala. Well, that's all we have time for from me, Sultan Ahmed, and our dear brother, Muhammad Ali. Thank you very much once again. And uh, until the next time, please do look after yourself. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.